wonderful. I'll take that as good. I'm good. You guys all right? Good? Good. Good to see you. Good to see those three young men over there. Sorry, those guys are my friends over there, those young men. It's wonderful to see the God's hand on young people. Hello to everyone online as well. It's wonderful to have you all with us. So I'm going to just jump right in so we can get through what I believe God's put on our agenda for this morning. But I, um, firstly, there's a, I'm doing a two-part teaching on fasting because we have a fast coming up. And um, how exciting, right? So, and, uh, so I'm doing fast, uh, a two-part teaching on Wednesday. I did two parts this past Wednesday. And I'll do two parts again. It's not like this at all. It's just teaching about 40, 45 minutes. We have a break, coffee, and then I teach again two sessions. That'll be the last two sessions this Wednesday because we're starting fasting the Monday after that. So, amen. Amen. All right. So, we've been on a series called The King's Kingdom and the King's Bride. And if you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, some of you may not have context. I'm not really going to recap I normally do, but I just, we just don't have time today. But I, the King's Kingdom and the King's Bride is something that is very much the Lord put on my heart just for this year, because I believe the truth of the kingdom is what the church needs to grasp a hold of again. You know, it is in the nature of man to make most things about ourselves, you know, ourselves, our heart, our issue, our family, whatever it may be. But the kingdom of God is much bigger, much broader, expansive. And the kingdom of God is not the church, it is the dominion of the king, the kingdom, the king's dominion, the authority, the rule, the power of God. And the kingdom will be forever, amen? Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to pray, and I wonder if you could pray with me, don't spectate, it's a a family which we're going to teach on today, so let's pray. Father, I bless your name, I thank you, I worship you. And I thank you for the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, that has cleansed us, that covers us. And your power and your life is in that blood, that sinless blood that defeated death. And for that, I am grateful, Lord. So I thank you for the blood of Jesus, for the cross of Christ. And I pray this morning as we get into your word, Holy Spirit, that you would let your truth and revelation spark into people's hearts and bring adjustments and change and freedom and liberty in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I got saved, uh, shortly after I got saved, I was listening to um, a song and by a guy called Jason Upton. And um, I was actually not, sorry, shortly after I went into ministry. And he, he had a little line when he said, your church, the church is sick. And it somehow pierced me right through, and I spent a couple hours just praying on the floor. And all I could say over and over was that, that your church is sick. Your church needs help. And I'm part of that, obviously. I'm not the builder. Jesus Christ is the builder. But he put something in my heart of a desire to see the church of God, the church of Christ, become what he intended it to be. And it's been changed and reshaped and reformed by man throughout the generations. But, you know, it's, he has an original intention. Yeah? And the New Testament church, like I've said before, is the baby church. It, it was them growing, learning. And so sometimes we look at Acts 2, 3, and 4, and we think, well, we must be exactly like that. Not really. 
it'll continue to grow and develop and change. And um, so we've been looking at this series, The King's Kingdom and The King's Bride. And first couple of weeks I went, I touched and then, you know, recapitulated, that's the fancy word for recap, on the kingdom. And that the church is in the context of a kingdom. We have to understand that. If the church becomes central, it will always become about man. But the kingdom is forever. The church has a beginning point and an end point. But the kingdom is forever. And the church is in the context of the king's kingdom. He has a kingdom. You know, even the word gospel, uh, evangelism, comes from the word euaglion. Euaglion is the Greek word which they used to have um, runners from the wars when two kingdoms would fight. And they used to have these runners that would run and bring the news of who won. And so the people would be in this kingdom, the women and the children and the people who weren't soldiers, they would be there and they would see the, this runner running, this Uaglion, that's, he was, that's what he was called, this runner coming. And he would blow the trumpets and wave the flags and it meant either slavery and death, persecution, not a good day, or freedom, liberty. Because we've won, our kingdom won, we won. And that is the original word for evangelism because the gospel, we make it about us. The gospel is actually the good news that there's been a battle that's already been won and we're part of this kingdom. That's the gospel. There's two kingdoms, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, and this one won. And we spread the good news of the kingdom. Jesus came preaching in Mark 1, the good news or the gospel, that's what good news is, the gospel means good news, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what he came preaching. He left speaking 40 days about the kingdom, not how to preach, not how to build a church, not the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. To think that Jesus spent three years on the earth and he didn't teach math, science, philosophy, he, he, I mean, those are good things, but he, he knew all. But he spent all his time teaching, my kingdom is like this, my kingdom is like this, my kingdom is like a dragnet, my kingdom is like a merchant seeking a pearl, my kingdom is like a farmer, my kingdom over and over and over. Because he said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's why it makes, takes faith. What is faith? The conviction in the heart of what we do not see, but we know it inside. That's scriptures on the wall. My kingdom is not of this world. So... I'm getting distracted with the kingdom. Love to speak about the kingdom. But the church, if you want to know what the Lord is like, if you want to know his nature, his character, his attributes, you go look at his names. Same with the Lord, same with Jesus, same with the Holy Spirit, the different roles and functions and operations of the Spirit. You see how he functions. There are many different titles or names or descriptions of the church by, by in the New Testament, but also by the Lord. There are many, and we see the intention when we look at what the Bible says the church is. And so the first thing we looked at was the church. I said I'm not going to recap it. I am, I guess, but I'm trying not to. It's difficult. It's difficult. Um, the church, the word church is the ecclesia, e ecclesia or ecclesia, however you want to say it, and it was the governing body of Rome. That's where they got the word from. It was the governing body of authority to implement the king's wishes, the king's desires, the king's plans. That's what Jesus called the church. We made it this very religious, but actually said, I'm leaving and I will appoint my ecclesia, those who know my heart, my intentions, my will, and they will bring authority and dominion as my body on the earth. That is what the church is. So, 
The church, the body of Christ, we went over that, the bride of Christ. A lot of people asked last week, by the way, for that parable. I read a parable, I wrote a parable, read it out last week. And if you want us to make that available, just email the office. We had a bunch of people ask for it, so we'll make that available. The church is also a holy nation. We'll read that today. The household of God, the family of God. I'm going to cover those two today by the grace of God. The building on the temple, the flock, the children of light, the pillar and foundation of truth. So the Bible says the church is. What spirit does not understand or does not believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth? The political spirit. Jesus warned them. He said, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. The political spirit, the religious spirit. It was Pilate, politician. Not politician, are wonderful. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm talking in the spirit realm. Calm down. But it was Pilate who said, what is truth? And when the political spirit comes into the church, liberty is lost because truth sets free. And the power of God is lost and liberty is lost because we're actually copying the systems of the world instead of the kingdom of our God. So, um, the pillar and foundation of truth, the armory of God and the house of prayer. And when we see, get revelation on these, not just names and we have a list. I'm going to go over a bunch of lists today. You're not expected to remember them. It's sometimes just one thing that God will reveal and put into the heart of people. So I'm going to read a portion of Scripture. It's a lengthy portion. It's 1 Peter. I'm going to do my best to just read it. And we're going to start in 1 Peter 2. Uh, sorry, 1 Peter 1 verse 20. And I think it may come up behind you. I'm not sure. But he indeed was foreordained by the fund. That's Christ by the before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, see we believe in God through Christ, who's our mediator, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Sounds easy. <laughs> love one another. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. Many of them, I think 14 of those are love one another, 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 love one another. Fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, that's Logos, that's Christ, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is grass. It is, is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Johnny Cash sings a song called Hurt. It's a pretty somber, serious, sad song. But it's at the end of his life, and he sings, and he says, I would give my, what does he say? You can take my, my empire of dirt. All the thing he built up, he realized, I can't take any of this with. He called it an empire of dirt. Because all flesh is grass, and the glory that we can have, and the glory of man, look what I've done, fades away. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and evil, uh, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. Thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone. He is the cornerstone and the capstone, Ephesians says. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. 
That's Christ. You also, as living stones, because one of the descriptions of the church is the building of God. God no, no longer lives in buildings built by the hands of men. Acts says that. He lives in you, the church. So, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, to you who believe that's believers, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, meaning they rejected Christ even though he came to his own people, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal, this is now you, the church. We hear this, we think of church, we think of, no, this is you, us, you. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Someone said it's the Lord's one-step program. Out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's one step. Who once were not a people, but now are the people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It's good sometimes just to read Scripture. Yes, it, is. it really, really is. So, if you look, there's many titles given to the church there, royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, his own special people, a, a spiritual house. But one of the descriptions of the church there you see is a holy nation. And if you think about it, it's not a place. It's the people of God scattered all across the earth, yet a nation. Again, you see the kingdom doesn't operate like we think. All over the world, yet a nation. So the best way I can teach on this very quickly is to just read again something that I wrote. I wonder if you could for a moment. Imagine a long line of people, and there's like groups, you know, a group there, then another group, and then a group, and they're tribes and tongues, like the Bible says, different tribes and languages and people groups. And so the church is one of them, right? Just pretend. Can we do that? Okay, it's okay. And they come, and there's the guy standing there, and he says, all right, which tribe, who are you, which nation are you? And if someone has to say that to the church, who are you? So I wrote a little answer. Well, <laughs> I want to say, get ready. Well, we are royalty, actually, we are, from the family of Jesus Christ, Son of God and High King of Heaven, and therefore under His protection. We have been betrothed to him as a bride, and as his bride, we are his body. We have been made one with him as a husband is with a wife, one flesh, which will be fully realized upon his return. This is your identity. This is who you are. As his bride, he has appointed us to be his church, his ecclesia, delegating his own authority. All authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given unto me, therefore you go. Right? Matthew 28. As his bride, he has appointed us to be his church, delegating his own authority to us in order to reshape nations, society, and individuals according to his desires, his principles, his character, his values, and his kingdom, which, by the way, is not of this world. Now this man standing there going, 
I asked the wrong question. You get, it's going on and on. We have also been given the privilege and responsibility to spread good news because you may not know, sir, but there was a battle that raged between two kingdoms in the realm that you cannot see, and he won it all. And he made a complete spectacle, Colossians says, of our enemy, who is also your enemy, by the way, even though you do not know it, which has given all peoples of the world who will believe and put their trust in him a way out of their current condition of slavery, bondage, fear, and selfishness. He has sent us the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish this, as this enemy, although he is defeated, still has pockets of resistance all across this world through propaganda that the battle is not yet over, even though it is. And this causes blindness and fear, but our husband, for that's who he is, will not stand for this. And when God the Father deems it so, we will all, even you, sir, will see Jesus Christ return, not just to beat the devil up, but he is coming for a bride. The sky will be peeled back like a scroll, the Bible says, revealing all the things which are now hidden, all the things I'm telling you, all the things that you, sir, may not understand or believe. And then all, not just us, all will see the love, the power, the authority, and the justice of Jehovah. And all will bow, and every tongue will actually say, Jesus is the Lord. That's who we are. Not because of us, sir. Not because of what we've done. Because of what he did. So thanks for asking, who are you? That's who we are. So, we are a nation. Friends, we are a nation. The church is a nation, a holy nation. Meaning what? Separated unto him. And this may challenge you what I'm about to say, and I hope it does. Meaning, the values and the principles and the cultures of this world are not how we live. There you go. Because we're a nation, a different nation. Think about it. That's why it says we, have a, we are citizens of heaven. We, have, we are part of a different nation. Citizens of a different country. And it is that very thing that often leads to slander, persecution, judgment, ridicule, but we are citizens of somewhere else. Amen? Right. All right. So that's the holy nation. I could, we could go into that, but I actually want to talk to you today about the family of God. Ephesians 2, if you could turn in your Bibles, who, who brought, just out of curiosity, hold your actual physical Bible up if you brought a physical Bible. I'm talking pages. Okay, Great. Use it now, open it, go to Ephesians chapter 2, it's like that far, that's a, if you don't know where it is, the New Testament. Okay, Ephesians 2, I'm just going to read to you a little bit, I don't think it'll all come up there, actually I'll just read verse 19, it says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, there it is, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, the household of God, the church is the family of God, and there is a family focus, and that's what I want to speak today more about, is that we are a family, and the enemy hates family, but there is a family focus in God's plan from the beginning. 
You know, Genesis 2.24 says, therefore a man shall leave his wife, uh, sorry, his mother, I think I wrote it down, yes, <laughs> not that. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Family, yeah, family? What's the next verse? And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Marriage. You know that family, the concept family and marriage were both designed by God before the fall. Think about this. That was before the fall. Which is why the old nature that we're all born with, you're born with the old nature that comes from the enemy, if you didn't know where it comes from, the sinful nature. When we come unto Christ, he gives us a new nature. We become new creatures in Christ. We are made new. We, ha we are empowered differently. That word new creation means a new species on the earth. This is why what was designed before the fall, marriage and family, the old nature will not do well in either of those settings because it was designed before. So Christ comes. We receive a new nature by faith in him. That new nature, the mind of Christ, not self in the center, but him in the center, that new nature that we receive when we get saved, that nature will flourish with marriage and a family. Thank you. Agreed. So, the government, everything is family. The government structure of heaven is what? Father and a son. Family. Salvation is to be brought back to who? A father. Through the cross of Christ, who is the son. And we go through adoption. All family. Colossians 1 says we are conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love. Family. I actually believe, personally, it kind of hints at it, so I cannot say emphatically, Genesis 18, why God chose Abraham. No one will ever know. But it says he knew Abraham. In the Hebrew, it almost is like he knew what was in his heart. He knew that Abraham would tell his children. Family. He saw that in Abraham's heart. This man will tell his children. So, let's pick him. We are the bride. Family. Now, if you look at Genesis, you'll discover something. The devil, he is real, but you don't have to be afraid of him. He's a conquered foe, but the devil hates family and he hates fellowship. He really does. Why does he hate fellowship? He hates fellowship because he's afraid of it. There is a depth of fellowship that is possible. Some of you will look at me and say, you're crazy. You know how hurt I've been. Well, we'll get there soon. But there is a depth of fellowship that is possible between believers. Do you know that is not possible for unbelievers? It's not possible. This is what the Bible says. It may not be your experience, but it is the truth. You know, when we are blood, bound by blood, by covenant, we are covenanted people. We are covenanted one to another. We are bought by blood, same blood, one to another. We will be together forever. And there is a depth to fellowship that is so deep and so powerful, but it's not going to happen unless the Spirit of the Lord, the power of God, and the presence of God are in the life of a church, of a family, of a house, whatever. When the presence of God is honored, it's a supernatural fellowship that begins to be knitted hearts. They come so close. The best way in the world you see it in the military the people they share a foxhole with, there's a camaraderie ship that develops that 20 years later, 50 years later, if they see that person, it's 
because they almost, they lived and died, ate, slept together. It's almost like a spiritual type fellowship, camaraderie. It's like they're tied together. You know what I'm talking about? This is God's intention for the church. <laughs> In Matthew 18, Jesus mentioned the word church twice. Matthew 16, universal church. Matthew 18, local this, local church. You know what he said? He talked about you, whatever you, you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He throws out these, when two are gathered together on earth, there I am in the midst of them. But the lesson he was teaching was actually on forgiveness. He's teaching a lesson on forgiveness and he throws out these statements of authority and the presence of God and the power of God. But the lesson, the context was teaching on forgiveness. Then he goes into the parable of the man who was forgiven a lot and couldn't forgive the guy who owed him a little bit. What is he saying? <laughs> He's saying, the way you treat one another as my family, the way you actually treat one another, there's a link from that to the power and authority that I can release in your midst. Right. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah? So, the enemy hates fellowship. I saw this with the youth. Many years ago, I used to lead... Um, uh, youth with my wife and actually Tommy Carly as well. And, you know, we would go on these retreats and the power of God would move. And I mean power. I mean, the stuff we saw, I don't want to take too much time, but it was phenomenal. People's lives turned inside out, upside down. People healed, saved, delivered. I mean, just the power of God would break out. You know, over the years, I learned something, you know, because I'm, I'm slightly intense. I don't, I don't think I am because I used to be really intense, but my people around me say, you're a little intense. I'm like, no, no, I've improved, but I'm trying so hard, but, but you know, but you know, I, so I would go there, just Jesus, God, Jesus, let's go, just, you take the world, but they're teenagers, and I noticed over the years, the fellowship they had, the fun, the sleeping over, and then waking up and having breakfast, then the games, and the fellowship was a major contributor to actually the power of God that is released. The devil knows that. So he doesn't want to allow it. He's afraid of it. <laughs> so when you get offended, they didn't wave, they didn't do this, they didn't. Where does that come from? It means he's afraid of you. The enemy hates family as well. It's God's DNA. Look at the first family. He cut the he cut the fellowship between God and man, first family, by deception. Then he put enmity between the man and wife, division. Then he destroyed the bond between the first two siblings, Cain and Abel. At every level, he tries to divide family because it's God's design at every level. But God has a plan, yeah? You know that even in the names, in the Hebrew names of the first family's kids, you can see God's plan. Abel, I mean Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel. Cain means possession. Eve said, I've received a possession, acquire, I've acquired a possession from the Lord. Abel means breath, as in life. And he was, in a sense, a Christ figure, you know, but we'll, we won't get onto that. But he was the first prophet, the Bible says, because he pointed to Christ by innocent death. But possession killed life. Cain killed Abel. Possession killed life. So they had another son. His name was Seth. You know what his name means? 
Oh, help me, Lord, what does it mean? It means, I think I wrote it down. Oh, it's behind me. What does it mean? Compensation. I had another C word in my head, contraception. I was like, it's not, it's not that. It's not that. So I'm like, Lord, it's the wrong word. It's the wrong word. It's actually very much the wrong word. Um, but compensation, why? And it actually says to replace, it's from Abel. Abel was, comp- I will compensate you. And you know what it actually means? To be set, Seth, to be set in place of another. Ha. Huh. Like Christ. Wow. He's a Christ figure. I will send you one in the future who will be in place for you. He will die for you. He will be take things for you. He will be set in your place. And you know what it says? Then he had, and Seth then had a son and named him Enosh. Then listen to this. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Why is that important? I will send one, for, you know what Enosh means? Enosh means man, same as Adam. Man, mankind, mortal man. So the enemy destroys the family, destroys the husband and wife, the union with God, the two siblings. He cuts the family, destroys it. Compensation comes. Seth, set in the place of another, a Christ type. And because of what he will do, I will make it be able to start again where people will receive a new man, Enosh. A new man. And with the new man, they can have fellowship. They will seek the Lord again. That is what you see with Adam's children. So, let's take a look. Isn't that amazing? It amazes me. John 1. He came to his own. That actually means that which was under his dominion, under his domain. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. John 1, 10 to 13. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, let's say it together, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born not of blood, that's physical generation, natural birth. Being born again is not your first birth, that's when you're born on the earth. So he says, no, it's not that birth. It's nor of the will of flesh. That word flesh is sarks. It's a sinful nature, the old nature. It's talking about works. Nor of the, your will, you cannot will yourself into the kingdom. I'll do enough. I'm good enough. I, no, no. Can't do it. Then not or nor of the will of man. That's by someone else. Some spiritual guru. Your spiritual hero, Billy Graham. I have a great parent's that mother and father that are men and women literally of God, servants of the Lord. They can't save me. Not by the will of somebody else, but born of God. Jesus called it born again. Born of God. Being born into a new family. See, John 1.12 says, we just read it, as many as received him, not earned him, not sought him, not found him, not went look, received him, he comes to you. As received him, to them he gave the right to become children, that's family, of God, 
to those who believe in his name. You know that word right is the word authority, exousia in the Greek. To those, as many as received him, he gave them the authority to become children of God. Why? Ephesians 2 says, And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So if you ever wondered where the systems of the world get their thoughts from, according to the course of this world, according to the prince, which is according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, that word power is actually authority, the authority of the air. Because he was given that authority by Adam, but Jesus took it away. What about Colossians? He has delivered us from the power. That word is authority. He has delivered us from the authority of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom. So he says, if you've received him, to them he gave the right, the authority to become children of God. Why authority? Because it's by birth. And because it's by birth, it's by birthright. And if it's by birthright, the authority structure has changed. He, the enemy, the deceiver, they no longer have authority over you. He gave you the authority to take you from one kingdom into another kingdom to take you out of that one's authority and put you here, now a child. The enemy will lie and say, well, when you do bad things, it's like, no, no, you're a child, you're a child of God, you're a child of God, you're a child of God, you're a child of God. And you've been given the authority to act and be his child. So, the biblical expression of God's people as family, unfortunately, in the modern church, is seen far too little. Because we're going to be friends after this, I promise. The Hebrew people were a community-driven culture. We are not. We are not. I come from Africa. Some of them are probably watching now. Far more community, family, open homes. Maybe it's not like that now. I don't know. I've been here a number of years. But Loudoun County, Nova, if you want to call it, just to be real, was dealt a massive blow. This deception that for some reason causes people to value busyness, business, finances, privacy, independence, self-sufficient, far more than it values family, far more, far more. It's the opposite, really, of the kingdom. And so it's very difficult. People struggle in churches. You know the number one reason, if you research, the number one reason why people leave churches? You know, preachers think the doctrine. You know, no, not some, but not really. The number one, they couldn't find fellowship and strong relationships. You know the number one reason why people join churches? Because they couldn't find fellowships and strong relationships, and they're looking for it. It's the same, separate research. Because there's something in God's design of family and fellowship, and the church has become more like a business than a family. More like a business than a family. And so what happens is now there's this overemphasis in some people's hearts. They long for community so much that it's, it's like a black hole. And I'm sure you've, you know some people like that. It's just always community. Everything is community. Everything. It, and you know what Diedrich Bonhoeffer said? Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor 
World War II concentration camp. He was killed two weeks before the end. And if you talk about a person who longed for a Christian community, it was him. But he wrote this. He said, those who love their dream, their dream of a Christian community more than they love the actual Christian community, it's itself, in other words, the actual people, will become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial, those who dream of this idolized community demanded to be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with the demand set up by their own law and judge others and God accordingly. Because there's a community in here, but it may not be the one that is in your mind. Because people want community until it's messy. Then we, no, now we want privacy again. I'm going to go, you know, you go to a community-driven culture, oh man, it's, it's messy. They're fighting and everyone knows and it's, you know. It's not comfortable, you know, it's not, but it's community. It's community. Doesn't mean you have to be in people's business, but there's a covenantal community. There is a covenantal community in Scripture that is foreign to us as Westerners. And it is in that that there's a depth and a fellowship that has, is linked to the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. That's why you see Acts chapter 2. They live together. They, I'm not saying go do that. And there's reasons for that which I won't get into because they came from all other parts of the world and they didn't have houses that to go sell that and come and move there. But friends, there is a, we are born again into a family into the household of God. Psalm 68 says God sets the lonely in families. He sets the lonely in families, not in churches, in families, not in businesses, not in, in a family. When we are born into a family, in real life, natural, in, and I'm gonna say wholesome family, I'm just gonna list some of these in a whole, and I understand some of these will not be a reflection of your life. And for that, I am sorry, because that must have been tough. But when you are born into a family, God's intention for family, when you are born into a family, what do you receive? It says, to those who receive him. First thing you receive is a house. Now we're just gonna speak plain, right? Just plain, a house, which means safety. You know, I asked my two boys, if you uh, were suddenly lost in the woods and you're older and you're doing and you have a whole group of people you have to look after, what's the first thing you must do? <laughs> you know them, shoot everyone, you know, <laughs> shoot the enemy, just, just, you know, or like, you know, just make sure, like, get rid of the enemy or find food or shelter. And I'm like, safety. You can't do anything. You can't find food. You can't, without safety, nothing can start. That is the responsibility of parents. When you're born into a family, you receive, you receive a house, a place for dreaming, a place for being fed something healthy. <laughs> this is the local church. Parties are good, candy's good, but you can't be raised on it. This is actually the local church. A person doesn't get saved, born again, a baby, and then you don't take a baby and put it on the street. You take them into a house so they can grow, be nourished, fed. What else do you receive? You receive a name. When I was born into that family, I received a name. Not my first name, 
my last name. I receive a name. Not my choice. I receive a name. Everyone does. Everyone. And a family name can be the cause of embarrassment, pride, wealth, authority, poverty, multiple things. But you receive a name. The church, being the family of God, receives His name. To those who receive Him, to those who believe in His name. Why do you think Matthew chapter 1 starts with the lineage of Christ? Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 starts with him, the father of son, that's your lineage. You receive a lineage, you receive a name, you receive a family history, you receive all of that when you're adopted into his family. And then he gives you that name to use like a credit card. And I'm not trying to downplay it, but that's what it meant in the market in Jesus' day. A wealthy son could go into a marketplace and give his father's name, and that would just cover all the expenses. He gives you that name to use for authority. You go to a person, a person's sick, a person's dying, a person's struggling, a person has a broken heart. Where I'm from, my father doesn't allow this. Let me help you. (laughs) His name, the name is used for everything that the name paid for, covers, everything. When you're born into a family, you receive a father who is also your potential friend if there's honor. This is my father. I honor him with all my heart, but he's not my friend. (laughs) Some of my best fun times are with him because he's my friend. God says, I want to be your friend in Scripture. But grow up to be a friend of the Lord. That's, you grow up in a house, a father who is your potential friends. And unfortunately, the image of a father has been destroyed. But you know, even the image of a good father destroys the image of God the Father. Because a good father, it's like you can't see anything beyond it. But he's bigger and better. When you're born into a family, you receive siblings. And those are interesting. (laughs) We have a couple in this church who has like, they've raised 11 children. Yeah, yeah, enough said. You know, so they can probably do some talking on this, but siblings. You know, these are people you grow up with. And I see my boys. It's just constant, you know? Siblings, these are people in the local church that God puts next to you. Other believers, other people, they are siblings in the body of Christ. You know, we're in a spiritual house. The way they used to build it, they would take a stone, take another stone, and put the two that kind of fit next, or they would take the two stones, this is how they would build them these days, and rub them together until they were flat, so they would fit nicely together. God put some people next to you. You're like, my goodness. This person needs deliverance, healing, help, money, something, a haircut, you know, God will put people next to you. Iron sharpens iron. Oh, you're being built into a spiritual house. He'll so put people next to you for this. You know, sometimes the answers to the solutions we seek are in that person. Because in every person there's gold. That's a true prophetic person will see the gold, not the issues. When God started to really speak to me about people and words of knowledge and details about people's lives, I would see issues. Oh, you're doing this, this, this. Then you learn to see past that. See, 
oh my gosh, look at the potential. Look who God's called you to be. Look at the gold inside of this person. And then you treat them accordingly and they will become it. Right. right? Now, there are people around us, thousands of dollars are spent month by month, year by year by believers to go from this church or this place to fly across the world to go to this conference because this special man or woman of God is over there. And if they pray for me, if they touch me, why? Because you don't live with them. You don't actually know them. So we have this, they're perfect. Go live with them. Go live with them. We overlook the anointing and the power of God in the person next to us because we know their stuff. Don't ignore gold because it's covered by dirt. All gold is. Hear me. It's a big deal. All gold is covered by dirt. I had it with my son, my little three, he was three, now he's five, and almost six. But he, I had a little toy, and I mean this silly little thing, I don't even know what it was like, you know, less than five below, I mean, you know, nothing, 50 cents. And I'm holding it, and he's freaking out. So I wouldn't give it to him, bad attitude, so I said no, and he didn't like that. And he's screaming, and he's standing there, and I'm looking at him, and the Lord begins to speak to me, like, he says, sometimes it's like my people. He's standing in a house that by inheritance is his, but all he wants is this stupid little toy. He's freaking out. You won't give me what I want. But he owns the whole house. That's family. I'm like, son, this is all, like that, the prodigal. All I have is yours, son. And you're allowing this little thing that I had behind my back to cause this, you haven't seen who you are yet. You get siblings. In a family you're born into, you receive responsibility. The mark of maturity, my dad used to say this, and I love it. He probably still says it. I just don't hear it anymore. Maybe, maybe that's a good thing. The mark of maturity is more about responsibility than behavior. Far more. Families have chores, things that need to be done. And when a child isn't taught this, they don't grow up. They will only grow up when they move out and realize their parents were right. And then they move home, and then they move out again better. Better the second time. <laughs> Hello? Yeah. Or they move home back and forth, back and forth. Because they, they grow up. It's like in the church. A father and a mother doesn't look for the most gifted, for their son to be gifted in taking out the trash. He looks for him to be, to take ownership, to be faithful. You know, he's like, son, he's like, dad, taking out trash, not my gift. <laughs> I don't care. Take it out. You know? And it's like in the church. Things need to be done. Local church is always a tiny group of people, okay, that do everything. And can I say with love in my heart, until that shifts in the culture, there are things God can't do. Consider that. There are things God can't do. Because people are so, well, that's not my gifting. Dishes are not my wife's gifting. They're not my gifting. They have to be done. There's stuff that has to be done. That is nothing. So leaders actually look for ownership more than they look for gifting. Because some of the most gifted people I've, honestly, I've ever met 
become an island unto themselves. Therefore, they're not being sharpened. And if they're not sharp, they won't be used. And so we look for ownership. You know, it's like revival comes to a house when a 15-year-old takes, does something without you asking him. It's like Jesus is coming back. It's true. It is true. The first time a child takes responsibility, parents, man, celebrate. So when you're born into a family, I'm going to go a little longer. You guys good? When you're born into a family, you receive discipline. True discipline comes from one context, one context, love of the one in authority. The one in authority from love, not just from anybody. I read your scripture. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. Consider that. I'm not saying go and beat your kids because, you know, people have different views. I'm not teaching on parenting now. I'm just reading the Bible. Discipline will deliver your child, whether you spank, don't spank, that is another conversation. All I'm saying to you is that if we don't discipline, the Bible says a father disciplines the sons he loves. He doesn't discipline like punishment. Punishment and discipline are two very different things. To punish, that's from the enemy. To discipline, that's from love. My father disciplined me many times, but I'll never forget the way he explained it. I came home and he took my door off, my bedroom, my bedroom door, gone. It's a great strategy. All the teenagers are like, shh, shh, shh. Why? He said, you're not making good choices with the freedom I've given you, so I've restricted your options. That's discipline. I was a teenager. He's not going to come. I mean, I'm 15. That's how the father disciplines. It's not, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to call you out. I've given you all these things, but you're making bad choices. And because I love you, I'm going to restrict your options until you can flourish here. I do like that verse, though. He shall not perish. <laughs> when you're born into a family, you receive an inheritance. Inheritance is a family issue. You wouldn't have an inheritance unless you first have a family. You receive an inheritance from the Lord. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, Romans 8. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may share in His glory. Do you know that when the Bible says you're co-laborers, co-workers, co-this, co-that, that's always the language there in the, in the Greek, 50%, 50. I do, you do. You know this word, joint heirs, is a different, different Greek word. It's 100%, 100%, because the mathematics of heaven are different than earth. We are His inheritance, Ephesians says. We are the inheritance of the Son. He inherits us. It's like in the earth, if I had to have this great inheritance, $10 million, every child that's present in the family means I get less, not so in the kingdom. The more that join in, the greater the inheritance. The kingdom is not like the earth. It's not. And you have an eternal inheritance and a spiritual inheritance here, which I won't get into. But the modern church, there's a lot of focus about your inheritance here power and authority, which is good and healthy, because power always forces a decision. 
You can argue with the person until you're blue in the face, until the power of God shows up that forces a decision. Well, what about this person who just got healed right in front of you? What power will force a decision? But you think of the early church. They offered them, I think I wrote some of it down, persecution, death by fire, sword, and beheading. That's what, that's what they were facing. Be a believer. Why? Because they taught there's an inheritance in eternity that has nothing to do with here. That was their focus more than this earth. So, uh, there's more. Can I just read the rest to you? Take this, please, Dave says. Was that maybe my dad? Take this into your church family. Friends, please take this into your church family. Because churches, we have an opportunity in this hour to shine. It's an amazing opportunity to reveal to the world this pseudo-love that the devil is peddling and this demonic diversity is, you know, call me what I want, the name I want, treat me how I want, do everything like I deem it so. If you don't, I can't flourish. That is what, and, and it's in the name of love or tolerance. You know, no family actually wants tolerance. I don't want my wife to tolerate me. I want, I want to love her. I want her to put up with me. I want her to tolerate me. I know I'm stepping on toes, but I'm okay because i got boots on. So this, this, this demonic, honestly, demonic diversity to offer a child options about things they've never even thought about. And in the name of diversity and... Gosh, yes. Funny lady. So churches are really starting to look more like businesses. And friend, in a family, I'll just read this quick. You work issues out because you are covenanted to each other. Now, there, we have all been hurt. I've been hurt by, by church probably more than most because I'm in it. You know, you've been hurt by church. I, I get it. And there's some things that can't be repaired. I, I get all of that. But we are covenanted people. Why is it that people display their best? It's like the social media generation. It's taught people, just show the best. Show the best side. Why is it that people display their best when genuine relationships are only built when they've seen you at your worst? Think about it. Think about it. <laughs> That's how, those are the people you end up winning wars with. They've seen me in my ugly moments but they still love me, let's go to war together. You don't walk away from family quickly or easily. Why? Because it's family. It's a covenant. It's actually a blood covenant. <sighs> parents train, parents work through differences in private. Same with leaders. Please hear me. Leaders, please. You work out your issues behind closed doors. God called Moses, Aram, and Miriam. They were fighting, the three of them. Come to the tent. Come, guys. Come to the tent. What happened while the leaders were sorting out their issue? The Bible says, and Israel couldn't move forward. The church stops when leaders are fighting. Same in a home. 
Parents, sort out your issues behind closed doors. It should be the same in the church. Also, the most intimate parts of a parent's relationship is behind closed doors. Same. When leaders, when people, leaders of any level are dealing with issues, it's not that they get to talk about people. They should shudder to do that because they both, people don't belong to people, ever. But they have to give an account. They have to wrestle stuff through, difficult decisions. But the benefit, the bonus in the, in the Bible, it says, is the relationship that you have. So when it becomes a business, it's just function. No friendship, no relationship, no power, no life. So we'll have to stop there. I'll just read the headings to you. Families celebrate unique qualities. People, families eat together. That's what we're doing here. We're eating, God's word. We eat together. At least one meal. Parents are the ones that notice abnormalities. They're the ones who see my child's not running right, needs braces, needs speech therapy, needs. And sometimes leaders will notice things in people because God has given them that sight. He's giving them that sight just like a parent. Just like a parent. But no person is another person's Holy Spirit. Please remember that. It doesn't help to go, do you know what I saw? You are so bad at this. Doesn't help. Nobody is anybody else's Holy Spirit. My wife and I have had some fights, you know, and that's been said. You are not my Holy Spirit. And I'm like, that is correct. I'll say this, I'll say this last one and then we'll end. Identity begins in a home. Friends, a child will take on the identity of their household before they form their own identity. It's the same in our local church. It's the same. Be careful what culture you're building. Is it fashioned after the kingdoms of this world, which is according to the prince of the power of the air, or the kingdoms, the kingdom of our God? <laughs> we'll leave it there. The church is a family, a household of God. So open your homes, actually meet new people, people that you may not understand, that may not look like you, talk like you. Open your doors, go for meals, actually make an intentional effort to be a covenantal community and come together. Not everybody can be the best friends of the preacher. It's crazy. Be open and forgive, 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 and forgive, and forgive, and forgive, and forgive forgive and forgive because you were forgiven a much greater debt. Amen. Can we stand?